Ephesians chapter 2 and Romans chapter 8. How many of you drink diet soda? Anybody? It's not a confession. It's all right. Diet soda. Our, our little one's diabetic, so we always get diet stuff wherever we go. You know, the concept of diet soda, or at least the marketers tell us, that the deal with it is it's all the flavor, all the texture, all the taste, all the good stuff without all the bad stuff. No sugar, no carbohydrates, you're not going to gain weight, it's not going to be bad for your health. All the good things without all the bad things so that you can enjoy the drink guilt-free. Now, I want to make what's probably a, a surprising statement to you, maybe unusual in some ways. I, I think that that's, at least in theory, the way that prayer works. I, I want to share with you this morning what I'll just call diet prayer. It's not prayer on the skinny. It's not weak prayer. It's not shallow prayer. It's not surface prayer. It's not legalistic prayer. Diet prayer. I think this is the way God created prayer. I think God created prayer to be a guilt-free activity. There shouldn't be mass amounts of guilt associated with your prayer life. If you've, if you've, Prayed for any amount of time at all. You've probably entered into this wrestling match from one time or another. This great emotional cloud that seemed to push against your prayer life. I grew up in a, um, I grew up in a very, in a very narrow and, and rigid uh, church. Uh, I, I grew up in a holiness, if any of you know what that means. Uh, and you know, it was a real small church and I don't know if you know the deal with small churches. Sometimes the deal with small churches is the smaller the church, the bigger everything else is. You know what I'm saying? Everybody knows everything and everything that goes wrong is huge. It's enormous. And, and everybody's going to hell every week because it's all, it's all bad. So I grew up in a, in a small church, about 35 people. And it was, you know, it was holiness and it was narrow. And, and uh, I, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know what God was like. I just knew he was mad. I mean, we, we didn't know what God was like. We just knew what he didn't like. And I remember one of the reoccurring themes in that setting was blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I, I remember hearing messages like that throughout my childhood. And I remember we were having a visiting uh, evangelist or something one Sunday. And I was sitting there about eight years old. And I would, it was just, you know, there was nobody there my age. It was a small church. And I would sit there and just turn the pages in the hymn book. That was my, that was my pastime. I would just turn them. Just turn them. There was like 300 and, I'm surprised I don't know the number still. 300 and something pages in that hymn book. I was sitting there turning the pages in that hymn book. And this guy was preaching on the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I can remember the story. I still remember the story he told. 
He told about being in a church one time. There was a guy in the very last pew on the end who was sitting and just weeping during the worship service and during the sermon and during the altar time. And after service, he went, he went and talked to that man and, and asked him what was going on. And he said, you see, he said, it's too late for me. I've committed the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to die and go to hell. And there's nothing I can do about it. But I just love to come and look from the outside in and just look at how great God is. But it's too late for me. And I can remember sitting there in that pew, my little body just shivering, whipping those pages by, thinking, oh, my Lord, I'm trying my best to figure out how to not tick God off so that I wouldn't go to hell one day and commit blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Scared out of my mind, afraid to hold my mouth wrong. We were told if we were going to put a mint in our mouth, we had to duck down behind the pew and put it in our mouth because you're not supposed to eat in church. The pastor might see you. The only thing I could think of worse than going to hell is living here the rest of my life knowing I was going to go to hell and not being able to do anything about it. I was raised in a tradition where the answer to all of life's problems was more. There's no situation in life that could not be solved without more of something. And it became clear to me very early if I was going to go to heaven, I was going to have to work for it. I was going to have to earn it. In a financial jam, you know what the answer is? Give more. Feeling depressed? Pray more. Apathy in the church? Let's have more services. No, better yet, let's have a revival. Let's have a week revival. Not a week, how about two? How about three? How about a month? How about a whole year? Seven nights a week, everybody come. More will answer it. Feeling empty? Do your devotions. Already doing your devotions? Do your devotions more. The world is going to hell. What should we do? Let's witness more. People not growing in faithfulness. Let's have more church activities and more events and more ministries. Does this sound familiar? The, the thing is, we all knew we should pray more, but nobody ever told us how much more. Where, when do you get to the point that more is enough? When do you get to the point that, you, that you're there? I remember that scene from the movie, uh, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. When they went down in a little bitty below the grass blades, you know what I'm talking about? And they captured that big ant. And they sat on his back and took that little, little twig and threw a piece of little Debbie chunk on it and stuck it out in front of him. And they made their way across the yard, try, harnessed this energy of that big ant. And I thought... <laughs> That's sort of what it sounds like to me. Always just out of reach, but just enough to keep you moving to a place that you're never going to get to. A place you're never really going to arrive at. When I say pray more, read more, study more, witness more, what I focus on is performance and ultimately guilt. And it's a guilt-based motivation. And so many times in this conversation with God, we bring that we bring that weight on our back into our prayer closet, thinking I could get closer to God if I could ever do enough. Then I would have the breakthrough that I've been looking for. If I could ever pray hard enough, long enough, write enough, live good enough, then I could have the breakthrough that I've been looking for. 
What's the result? Sometimes I found this to be true in my life. As I look backward over my life, I realize sometimes I didn't pray because I loved God. I prayed because I was trying to avoid the guilt I felt when I didn't pray. I was trying to... I, w- I wasn't running to Him. I was running from something. And the only place to get away from it was Him. So it wasn't really about Him. It was about getting away from the guilt. So the guilt will go away. I'll just collapse under the weight of my own guilt and finally give in and pray. Then I'll feel better. Listen, but no closer to God. I've had those seasons in my life when I, and I, you know, you miss, you, you get up late. I'm going to do my devotions at this time. You go to do it and then you miss it for some reason. Then, then the next day goes by, then a week rolls by, then two weeks rolls by. And now you've got so much emotional funk to work through, you can't even hardly get in there. You got so much stuff happening. You got so many things. What's the result of that philosophy? People, I think oftentimes through prayer, people, people develop a guilt-based approach to living. If the solution is just do more, the problem must be I'm not doing enough, which means I'm guilty of underperforming, and the answer must be to perform more. Once I realize that I can't live up to never doing enough, now listen to this, the guilt turns to shame, and the shame causes me to hide my real self because I'm not good enough and will never be. And that splits me in half, and I become two different people, the one that everyone else sees and the other one that I must hide because I know I'll never do enough to be good enough. People living with guilt, it's, it's ironic, I found. People living with guilt at times will fight you to keep it. I, I mean, and they'll go in conflict with you to hold on to it. And you wonder, don't you, don't you, don't you see what this is? Why? They fight you to keep on, hold on to it because they don't know where else to get the motivational energy to do the right things. So they say, if you take this away from me, I won't be good anymore. I know me. I know what I'll do. I'll do bad stuff and I won't feel bad about it anymore. If you take this away from me, I don't know where the energy to do good comes from. And I know that may sound bizarre. You may say that. That can't be true. I mean, this guilt feeling that motivates me to do right can't be wrong. Why? Because it, 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 it just doesn't feel right. Well, neither does a a diet to someone who's overeaten all their life. A diet doesn't feel right. You take an alcoholic and put put them in an alcohol program, coming off alcohol doesn't feel right. You take a drug addict and, and you try to take them off drugs, it doesn't feel right. In a sense, once you get used to being motivated by guilt, you're addicted to it. And uh, and freedom and grace just doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel like the right motivation. What's the deal with a workaholic? You know what the deal with a workaholic is? I, I used to believe that workaholics were addicted to work. Workaholics aren't addicted to work. They're addicted... They're addicted... To avoiding guilt. 
A workaholic doesn't work because he's addicted to work. A workaholic works because he gets to avoid the guilt he feels from inactivity. So what a workaholic is, is afraid of is not not working. What a workaholic is afraid of is, is feeling guilty. Because somewhere probably in their childhood they were told... That's not good enough. They they were given a standard they couldn't meet. And in their adult life, they're still trying to meet it. And then when you come to God and we say God is Father, they go, oh no, not that again. And they keep trying to meet it, keep trying to meet it. So a workaholic, what they're trying to do is they're trying to, they're trying, they're working to, to, to find a shelter from the guilt they feel when they're not working. So in a sense, they're, they're addicted to the relief from guilt. The problem is once guilt as a motivator works its way into your system, it becomes very difficult to feel right about any other kind of motivation. It just doesn't, it just doesn't feel right. And once that emotional system embeds itself in you, you'll have a difficult time. Now listen, here's the hardest part. You'll have a difficult time allowing yourself to feel spiritual about anything else. Our spiritual lives are basically defined by what we allow ourselves to feel spiritual about. If I, if, I can, if I can get it in my emotional system that this is spirituality, then I can do it. Because I can, it connects with my values. I can, I can feel right about it. What you have to do in God is you have to give yourself permission to feel spiritual about the things that he says are spiritual. And that's like, that's like your life changing. The more guilt I operate in, the more guilty I feel, listen to this, when I don't pray, and the more empty I feel after I pray. How can you feel empty after you pray? Because you bring so much stuff into it. Remember last week I said one of the hardest challenges I've had in prayer, and I think most people do, is when we try to make prayer something it's not. Or we try to make it do something it's not going to do. And so we bring that stuff, we bring that bag of weight in there with us, and then we pray, and we may feel a momentary release of guilt, a temporary release of guilt, but then afterwards we just feel empty because we realize, I've got I to go do it again. I haven't gotten out of this cycle yet. I'm still, I'm still working my way through it. And there's very little peace, and there's very little fullness. There's no real commun- communion, and there's no joy. If I'm honest with you, early in my Christian life, my Christian life felt like a, a hamster on a wheel. Just running, a lot of activity, a lot of stuff. Did a lot of stuff. But it just felt like I wasn't getting anywhere. Felt like I was starting over too often. Felt like I was starting over regularly. The great news is God's got an answer to all this. Look at Ephesians 2, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9. Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9. It's a verse you probably know. But we've only applied it to one scene in life. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God. Not by works... So that no one can boast. Can you bring up verse 10? I didn't give you that one, but can you go one more? Is it 
it trapped on there. Look at verse 10 if your Bible's open. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. The problem is we enter into our relationship with God on the basis of grace. We say, nothing you've done will be held against you. You come now and receive forgiveness for all your sins. It's by grace you're saved. You can't work your way into it. There's nothing you can do. You, you come and respond to God now and, and everything will be forgiven. But boy, now that it is, you better walk the chalk. You better walk a tight line because you're saved now. And if you're going to stay saved, you're going to have to work and earn it. It's, it's, a, it's a switch sometimes that we see. But the Word says, and what I want to do this morning is compare for you at the point of your relationship with God, grace and guilt. It's by grace that you're saved. Not from your own works, not from anything you could do, not from any way that you could work it up. And then, and then roll over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Paul was telling the Roman church about this concept of new life in Christ. Romans chapter 8, 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so He condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the Spirit. Now go to verse 15 of the same chapter. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. You've been adopted into a new relationship. Christianity is not about do this and don't do that. Christianity is about done. It's done. Jesus lifted his eyes up to heaven on the cross and said, it's finished. It's not about do or don't do. It's about done. It's over. Jesus completed this. It is absolutely finished. I want to compare for you this morning grace and guilt. And I want you to ask you in your own life, or maybe at certain times, what motivates you to do what we do, we tend to judge everything on the surface level. We judge everything on the action level and we don't look in at the motive. You can't just look at the good works of your life and then assume that you're making the connection with God that you need to make. Don't look at the good things. Look at the good things and work your way back into your heart and say, what motivated me to do that? What motivates me to pray? What motivates me to read my Bible? What motivates me to come to church? What motivates me to do an act of kindness? What motivates me? Guilt or grace? Guilt drives you. Grace draws you. Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. 
Grace draws. Guilt condemns you and it shames you into doing good things in order to make yourself a better person. Grace raises you up and draws you into a deeper life with God. Guilt moves you to works in the hope that those works will bring you closer to God. Grace moves us into the heart of God and deeper fellowship with God. And from that communion flows a river of good works. But from the outside, it might look the same. When you're looking at me, it may look the same. You may not know. When I look at you, it may look the same. I may not know. We tend to say, boy, that's a good person. How do you know? Did you see what they did? But does that mean that the connection is happening? Does that mean that the prayer connection that needs to happen is happening? The less guilt I operate in, the more peace I have in my relationship with God. And the more fulfilled I am, the more I rest in grace and bring no pressure to prayer. Boy, early in my walk with God, I brought a lot of pressure into the prayer closet. Because I, 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 I'd hear all these messages about praying and I, I'd get this idea from the Christian culture that I did. You know, you'd hear some of these sermons sometimes about fire. And I'd want to go in there and make fire. And I'd rub sticks together till my fingers wore numb and I couldn't make fire. And I didn't know why. I thought it just doesn't feel the same that it feels when I'm at church. What am I doing wrong? Because I brought so much expectation and so much pressure into the prayer closet that I couldn't find God with a stick. You're just looking at me funny. Is this making sense? had so much expectation that I was going to get in there and work all this out. I was going to be the best Christian God ever had. And I wanted to be. Somewhere, somewhere through it all, He leaked down into my heart and helped me see It wasn't about being the best Christian that he'd ever seen. It was about being close to him. And that changes it. It changes your heart. It changes your mind. When you bring pressure to perform, to pray good enough or strong enough or long enough, what I begin to simply realize is, that, that I'm, I'm, what prayer is, is when I'm there in Him. I'm, I'm there, I'm present, I'm, I'm in Him, I'm with Him. I show up. I'm, it's not about what I do or do the, or pray, you know, right. I'm just, I'm, th- I'm there in Him. I exist in Him. My real life is in Him. You know what prayer is? Prayer is resting in God. I've given you several different definitions, but and there's it's like a diamond. There's all kind of sides to look at. But pr- prayer is prayer's resting in God. It's not performing. It's realizing that Christianity is done. And it's resting in the fact that I'm in covenant. I'm in covenant love. And therefore it's done. 
So more, more of nothing's the answer in the prayer closet. It's just showing up. It's, it's being there, being vulnerable, being authentic. Guilt plays a funny trick on us. Guilt, to me, is the difference between God-focused prayer and, and self-focused prayer. Let me tell you what I mean. Guilt is so difficult to deal with in your spiritual life because it masks itself as humility. It takes on the mask of humility and appears to have virtue in it. How, how does it sound? Lord, I'm, I'm not worthy of you. I, I remember when I was 17, I had the opportunity to go with my pastor to a, to a, a banquet. And we didn't know anybody there. And there was a guy who was going to stand up and pray. And, and he said, watch this. I said, what do you mean watch this? The guy's going to pray. He said, this guy's going to ask God to forgive give us for all our many sins. I said, what are you, a fortune teller? What, what is that? The guy stood up and prayed, and he said, and Lord, forgive us for our many sins. I said, do you know that guy? How do you know that? He said, no, I don't know him. He said, but I know, I know what his church theological background is, and, and you're going to end every prayer in the legalistic idea that God forgive us of our many sins. I didn't know it then, but as I looked back on that, I realized what that is is guilt masked in humility. I could never do enough, so let's cover all our bases. Let's pull the wand out and let's cover all our bases. God forgive us. I know we're more miserable people than anybody could ever fathom. Lord, forgive us for everything we've ever done. See, it's all gone. What is it? It's guilt. Let me give you a definition of guilt. If, if you've got something to write down, write this down. I, I'd encourage you to do that. Guilt is Satan's way of allowing us to focus on ourselves, but feel spiritual about it. Guilt is Satan's way of allowing us to focus on ourselves and feel spiritual about it. Now think about that. The person who battles with guilt in prayer is the person whose focus in the prayer closet is on themselves, not God. That, that's a revealing confession, isn't it? That's a deep thing to come to. At least, now here's the problem. All this motivation shows up in our, our, our emotional makeup. So it's hard. You and I come to the kingdom looking at everything on the outside. Remember, remember a couple weeks ago what I said when we started this series is that the difficulty with prayer is it, it's shifting to a whole... Um, different set of variables than you used to, to relate to the world before you were saved. Everything before you were saved was taste, touch, sight, hearing. It was all the external. But when you get saved, you're now all of a sudden trying to communicate in the internal. Well, and, and, and now you're coming in here, and the deal is guilt's not out here in the five senses. Guilt is in here in the inside and has to be worked out in, the, in, the inner, in your inner life. And, and, so, and so when you're in there, at least in your subconscious, you're probably not even aware of it. There were years that I wasn't aware of it. You can be in there thinking, if I could just get over myself, I could get to God. And God's thinking, 
If you could just realize you're already with me, you could get over yourself. Do you see that? And, and that's a whole other world in prayer. When I'm struggling with the most guilt in prayer, it's when I'm focusing mostly on myself and what I'm bringing to the prayer closet. Look, there are, I would estimate in America today, there are millions of people who flock every week to hear guilt-based preaching and teaching. And you would say, why would they do that? Because it makes them feel better. To, if, if you have absorbed in your pores guilt as a motivation, then actually feeling guiltier makes you feel better. Why would it make you feel better? To know you're bad motivates you to do something good, which relieves the guilt for a little while. But then like a hamster on a wheel, tomorrow you've got to get back on it and run again. You've got to get back on it and do another lap. It seems impossible, but it's not. Once guilt-based spirituality seeps into my bones, I stay with it because I unconsciously reason, at least I know how to relieve my guilt. I just do something good and it goes away, then it comes back. I do something good, it goes away and comes back. But if I give, but if I give this up, if I give this system up, I have no idea how I'm going to deal with my guilt. I just feel bad. So thousands upon thousands upon thousands of people cling to this driftwood and never doing enough in an ocean where they're drowning. How sad and pitiful and how far below what God has for us. Romans 8.15 says, He has adopted us into sonship and He's given us the ability to cry, Abba, Father! Daddy! Daddy! He says, you're already here. You're already here. It's like a child in the night, screaming in the middle of a nightmare, screaming for their dad only to realize he's standing by the bed. Son, I'm right here. You don't have to scream that loud. I was already here. I already heard you. I already knew what was going on before you were even awake. Every now and then, I see that little boy sitting in that pew Flipping pages in the hymn book. Just feeling guilty. Knowing that I hadn't done enough yet. And I probably never will. Guilt was part of my spiritual formation. How I was formed in my spirit man as a young person. Guilt was jammed in there. So it's had to have been worked back out over years and to be honest with you, I'm not sure it's all gone. I think there's probably some still in there. I'm going to ask Micah to come now. You know what did happen, though? I learned a lot about guilt and prayer after Hurricane Katrina. You know, our church was right there. I think Hurricane Katrina hit our mailbox. Right there, just blew us away. 36-foot wave hit our shore just about a mile from our church, and it just wreaked havoc. And so we worked seven days a week from sun up till past sundown. I would go home and start returning phone calls that I couldn't feel during the day about 9 or 10 at night. And so we did that for about three or four months. And then we did six days a week for months and months and months. And in that, in that setting, 
You know, when that happens, <laughs> you, don't need a, you don't need a map. You need a compass. Because there's nothing there but jungle. I mean, there's just no path through there. And, and so everything, the, the world happens to you. You know, thousands of people showed up on our site and trying to manage all that is, is consuming. And in that, everything's off. School's out, your, your home's disrupted, your family's disrupted, your church is disrupted, your, your daily routine's disrupted. And so as you flow through there, there comes a point where you go, okay, God, I mean, I've prayed, I, you know, I've tried to, I've tried to do what I should do, but to be honest with you, these past several months, it, it's been mostly pour out. I've not stopped. I've not stopped to, to be with you the way I should. So now here's the question. Here became the fundamental question to me. How do, how do I get back? How do I reconnect to God the way that I need to? How do I do that? Nothing in my background prepared me for that. Nothing in my tradition prepared me for that. I'm not even sure anything that I'd been taught, or at least that I had understood, I'd grabbed, prepared me for that. I did something that was completely counterintuitive to me. I started believing God. That sounds odd. But I said, Lord, I'm, I'm going to meet with you, and I'm not going to feel bad about the times that I didn't or I don't. Now listen to me. I'm not going to live in guilt. This is out of control. I didn't cause this. I'm just trying to find my way through. And Lord, I'm not going to feel guilty. I'm not going to feel bad about the times that I should have met with you and didn't. And I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to believe that you have me in your hands. And you know, it was so weird. You would think getting on a regimented schedule of like having your devotions five or six or seven days a week would be the way to come out of that. It's not the way I came out. I said, God, I trust you. I know you love me. And I, I have faith in you. And the days that I would miss, I'd say, Lord, I'm connected to you. God, I'm connected to you. And I trust you for my life. I trust you for my spiritual life. I trust you for my wholeness of mind wellness in my body. Lord, I trust you today. It wasn't a trite prayer. It was just it was the best reach I could get at the time. You know what happened? What happened is the more I trusted God, the more that connection gave my soul life. The more life filled my soul, the more I prayed. Now watch. Prayer became the result. It became... It became the after effect of the connection. And out of, out of that, out of, out of that, I don't even know how, it's, it's deeper than I can almost describe. Out of that stand on grace that I took. Lord, it's not by my works that I stand today. It's by grace that I stand. I didn't do everything I was supposed to do today, God, but I trust you and I'm believing you and I stand. Every day I take a stand of faith. And that stand filled my soul with life. And that life drove me into deeper and greater prayer. And my prayer life picked up momentum and speed and consistency quicker than it ever had in my life. 
sounds, it sounds all, <laughs> does that sound right to you? It, it, was, it was deep for me. I didn't get that before. But I, I can, prayer's not about the result. It's about the connection. It's about being connected to God. And sometimes that comes in, and I'm not advocating this, you know. Pastor said, two minute prayer's it, and you, and you just dangle a little a trinket at God. I'm not saying that. I'm saying if the connection in two minutes is good, your prayer life's going to grow. It'll force it. It'll cause it to grow. The love and the fellowship and the communion and the joy will just explode. And you, you, you can't help but it grow. But if you're throwing God a fleece, it's not, that's not, then that's not a connection. It's a way to relieve guilt. But if the connection's there and you're not walking into this conversation with all this junk, say, God, you know my heart. I love you. I trust you. I stand in Jesus' name on your grace today. It's by grace that you're saved. It's by grace you stay saved. It's by grace you pray. It's by grace you enter into that connection. It's by grace that connection's maintained. It's not by your performance, by your works, by your consistency, by your determination, by your devotional life, or anything else. Am I like freaking y'all out? You're looking at me like I'm, I'm killing the third grade class turtle. I've had one prayer for you for today Romans 12 says don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world but be transformed from within by a new way of thinking as your thinking changes as you shift from guilt into grace as those fragments of guilt, like that are still in my brain, are deprogrammed by the, by the Word of God and by the power of His Spirit, you will walk in greater confidence in your joy and your fellowship and connection to Him. I'm not saying pray less. I'm just saying don't think praying more is it. Maybe praying more is not it. Maybe praying deeper is it. Maybe praying with greater faith. Maybe praying with a different approach. Maybe praying with an understanding that you're connecting. Connecting to God. Would you stand with me? I, I guess through this entire series, I really just have one message. Prayers about the connection. It's about the connection. That's what it's about. It's about you being connected with God. What I want you to do now, I know this was heavy. I didn't even warn you. I'm sorry. I should have warned you. Should have told you last week. Come next week and we're going to blow your face off. I didn't tell you. But if you can, close your eyes. And I want to ask you to begin to pray what's on your heart. Start to pray what's on your heart. Start to verbalize out loud and begin to ask God. Begin to pray, Lord, wash any fragment of guilt that I have in me out. I'm going to ask our